Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Liberty Language Services. Liberty Language Services is a woman and minority-owned language service company. They have over a decade of industry experience providing on-site, video remote, and over-the-phone interpretation, translation, and ASL services to public and private sector clients. They're continuously recruiting for freelance interpreters and translators, so make sure to check out their website for new career opportunities. Liberty is passionate about making interpreter education more accessible to everyone. So whether you're new to interpreting or have been interpreting professionally for years, you can take advantage of their online courses, workshops, and CEUs. Their most popular online course is the Professional Medical Interpreter. It's a self-paced, comprehensive, 40-hour medical interpreting course for individuals looking to get qualified to interpret in medical and healthcare settings. Upon completion of the course, students will be able to earn the title of Qualified Medical Interpreter. And for a limited time only, Liberty is offering a discount for the Professional Medical Interpreter course to brand the interpreter listeners. Use the discount code BTI50 when you sign up online for the Professional Medical Interpreter to get $50 off the course. You can find the discount code and more information about Liberty Language Services in the episode notes. Welcome back to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Happy Friday to you if you're listening on Publishing Day. And if you're not, happy day, whatever day of the week it is. Still, thanks for being here with me today. You know, sometimes I'm in disbelief when I think about the fact that we're about 50 episodes deep in the podcast And as I think about the upcoming season and also the podcast's second year anniversary, I often wonder if you, the listener, have some suggestions for the show. I mean, aside from being able to hear the stories of other language professionals and their areas of specialty and being able to learn I'd also like this platform to be some sort of entertainment. Would you be interested in listening to maybe a specific language professional, right? Maybe you have that suggestion for me or listen to a particular specialty field. Or would you be interested in seeing this content in video format? You know, there's all these things and all this potential for growing the content and the way in which I deliver the content to you, the listeners. And so it would be amazing if you would be able to share some feedback. Um, Would you be interested in creating some sort of place where we can give these suggestions? I mean, you guys know I have social media. Uh, You're always more than welcome to comment on any of the content that I drop whenever I drop an episode and going to any of my social media platforms and putting any of your suggestions or feedback for the guests or anything like that. Um, But it would also be great to have a place where we can potentially talk about any of the things, any of the highlights from the show 
uh, any follow-up questions or things like that all in one place. So really what I'm saying is I welcome your feedback. If you guys would like to touch base with me, you know, touch base with me on any of the social media platforms, send me a message, uh, email me, let me know what you're thinking in terms of what you would like to see sort of expand from what we've already created. Because I say we because I deliver the content, but you are the listener, you're the person tuning in. So you're very much a part of this process for me. So make sure that you stop by at some point before the next season and you let me know potentially what your thoughts are. Anyway, today, today's guests, let's dive right on in. Maria Letizia is a professional interpreter working in the translation and localization industry for over 22 years now. She does both consecutive, including over the phone, and on-site, plus remote online simultaneous interpreting. She has specialized in live interpreting for media and TV. She's provided interpreting services at a very high level, both in her mother country and abroad, from government to public administration to NATO to embassies, public institutions, ministries, plus multinational companies and big corporations. She's a language graduate from the University of Bucharest, Translation Studies and Conference Interpreting Techniques, and a graduate from a European MA program in Conference Interpreting, organized by the University of Bucharest with the support of the European Union. She has successfully passed the English-French and English-Romanian Preliminary Interpreter Candidate Skills Interview for Healthcare Exams, diplomas awarded by LanguageStat USA, and she's also a KUDO-certified interpreter. Currently, she focuses not only on doing conference interpreting, but also on giving interviews, lectures, and providing online training and webinars on demand on interpreter techniques, plus tips and tricks for aspiring interpreters. She's fluent in English, French, and Romanian, and a beginner in Italian and Spanish. So, without further ado, here's Maria Letizia Kikulitsa. Maria Letizia, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. How are you? Thank you so much for having me, Maria. I was uh, looking forward to <laughs> talking to you and uh, sharing some of my uh, professional interpreter uh, experience with you. Oh my goodness, absolutely. <laughs> I, I cannot wait to get started and to hear a little bit more about you and your story. But before we dive into all of that, I love to ask all of our guests one particular question that kind of takes us back into your childhood and into that little mind mm -hmm. of Maria Letizia <laughs> when she was whatever little age uh, yes. it, she was. What were you thinking about as a child uh, for your profession as you grew up? So what did you ever consider or think about that you would be doing uh, when you grew up? I uh, have to be <laughs> very honest with you about it. Uh, actually, it's a funny story because my parents have nothing to do with this field, with this industry, nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm kind of the black sheep of the family from this perspective, if you want. Actually, I decided I wanted to become a professional interpreter when I was eight. After watching a uh, high-level meeting on TV, 
between two heads of state. Uh, that was Romania and China. Just as a side note, I'm uh, based in Romania, which is a former communist country. We didn't have uh, much to watch on TV at the time, uh, except for news and some uh, very well <laughs> regulated TV programs. And wow. I still remember my room as a child and my uh, small TV, which uh, my parents bought. This was the news. As you can imagine, I did not understand much of it. I was not yeah. that into news and stuff. But I remember I still had that picture in my mind with these two heads of state, um, our former president and uh, president of the Chinese Republic mm -hmm. uh, at the round table. And behind them, there was this guy, which with my mind, my child mind, I understood that he was helping them understand each other, communicate with each other. And I that that was the very moment when I decided this is what I want to do. As you can imagine, I didn't have the concept of an interpreter of the time, but I <laughs> knew that this is what I want to do. Yeah, I think that's what makes it even more interesting that at such a young age, without even really knowing mm -hmm. that it was an actual profession, you just knew that that person was there helping. And, you know, that yes. that was the role. Like, I, I find that so interesting. I love that. Now, at that time, were you only speaking one language still or had you been introduced yes. to a different language? Um, well, actually, your thank you for the question, because this somehow relates to my uh, the biggest regret, actually, that I have, professionally speaking, the fact that my maternal grandmother wanted to teach me Russian, which would have been my second mother tongue. I did not see the tremendous value in that at the time, but I was only six when she suggested, look, why, why don't you let me teach you uh, Russian? Because she was born in a former Ukraine, uh, so she spoke uh, both Russian and uh, Romanian. I simply did not realize the, um, at that age the importance of speaking as a child two foreign languages. Right. And this is something I still regret to this day. Oh, wow. No, at the time, no. I, I, um, I was only speaking uh, Romanian. At that point, all I could uh, make of that TV program was that young man sitting behind the two heads of state was helping them communicate to each other, understand each other. So somehow, of course, in my mind, I knew that there was an obstacle in their communication, yeah. uh, which probably uh, was language. Um, but as I said, I didn't have the concept, okay, uh, that person helping, that professional helping people uh, other people who don't speak the same language understand each other is called a, an interpreter, right? right. Um, but I was, I had this thing for languages, um, which is weird because, as I said, my parents have nothing to do with it. They're uh, really poor at languages, at grandma in general, especially my father. Okay. <laughs> 
So um, I think I took it to after my grandmother. I don't know. Uh, mm. But the idea is that I'm the only uh, language uh, person in the family. In the family, yeah. Um, so um, I did start uh, study French when I was 10 with a private tutor. Uh, I learned it very easily. And it's not just because Romanian and French belong to the same language family. I've, I've always felt very close to the language, to the culture. It came, to me, it came very easy to learn it. Tell yeah. me, why French? What, what was, what was mm. the decision behind that? Well, this is the language that was mainly uh, taught in school mm. uh, back then in Romania. I mean, you could only, uh, you only had this option, French and Russian. I started studying English a bit later mm-hmm. in life when I was, I guess, around 13, 12 or 13 or something, because I needed to prepare for admission exams at, uh, at the high school. I decided I wanted to study languages. Mm-hmm. So um, after the first eight years of study, in order to be admitted and to be able to study in a high school uh, in Romania, you had to pass some exams. At the time, some of these exams were uh, oral and they were, um, how should I put it, eliminatory. So you either passed that oral examination or you didn't. I'm curious to know, going back to mm-hmm. to your young age of 10 years old uh, and you begin your tutoring uh, mm-hmm. with the French tutor for the you know French language. Yeah. Did you bring this up to your parents that this is something you were interested in or was it something that they they encouraged you to do? Mm, they noticed uh, they saw my interest in languages. Uh, my father had this French manuals, French grammar, fr- kind of French course and an Italian uh, manual. I was always, uh, you know, reading through, looking at the pictures, trying to understand the words and so on. I was supposed to um, begin studying French in the fifth grade, uh, so at the age of um, 11 or, or something. He decided to like prepare me a bit in advance and got this tutor that I had private lessons with. The lady was high school teacher, a very, very good teacher. That was the first time when I started doing translations because we, we had this practical exercise. And actually, the first book I translated from was Lettre de Montmoulin, written by Alphonse Daudet. Okay, wait. So you, you started translating at the age of 10? I mean, I know it was informal, but you already began. Not during, that- not uh, exactly in the first year, but bit by bit, yes. Wow. She would make me, she would make me uh, translate like small excerpts from that book. You mentioned something right now that I'm interested mm-hmm. in in also knowing Maria Letizia, especially when we're yeah. talking to people from, you know, uh, different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to the education system, you mm-hmm. mentioned that you were going to have to take 
French in fifth grade. Does that yeah. mean that that language acquisition is mandatory in, in your Yes. In, in Romania at that time, you began studying a foreign language in the fifth grade. Uh, for us, for me, it was French. Then the next year, it was Russian. Uh, I came from... Um, a very small town uh, in Moldavia, so not Moldova, Moldavia, which is a region in the northeastern part of Romania. And at the time, uh, you didn't have many people speaking English, mm. not in this small uh, towns anyway. Okay. Uh, so after this first eight years of study, um, I moved to a big city, a one-hour drive from my hometown, to study languages in a, a bilingual high school. Uh, as mentioned, after some very tough qualifying, both oral and written exams. Wow. It's almost like university out here mm-hmm. uh, when, when you're trying to go into another language, a foreign language type mm-hmm. of program their entry exams can be pretty robust in the sense yeah. that, you know, they they do want to make sure that you have that the acquisition of the language already mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. build upon that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. for it to be, exactly. yeah, like that mm-hmm. in high school already, that's, you know, that's a pretty serious, I think, especially even like at that mm-hmm. age, you're like a teenager still, you know, and yes. to, yeah, yes. to be able to have that, that maturity of, the importance of another mm-hmm. language and, you know, have those basic skills necessary in order just of course. to of courses. Course. I think that's incredible. You mentioned right now um, that you gr- uh, grew up in um, Moldavia. Is that correct? Did I say that? Correctly? Yes, Moldavia, uh, which is not to be mistaken for the Republic of Moldova, which is where my uh, father's mother was from, which okay. belonged to Ukraine, yeah, former Ukraine. That's why she spoke Russian. Moldavia is a region, is a region in the northeastern part of Romania where my hometown was so so you grew up in a small town yes in moldavia in moldavia in the north of romania then i moved to a uh, big city called the yash which is a kind of like the capital of that region called moldavia right to study as i said in a bilingual high school with native teachers from france uh, uk we had this english summer camps with the teachers even from uh, the us and then i came to bucharest the capital of romania for my university studies what is a favorite memory that you have or your childhood memory growing up I know it's uh, me winning a French language competition when I was uh, in the ninth grade. I was 14 years old. And that's when I first visited Paris. Oh, wow. As a 14-year-old child, uh, learning, studying French in a bilingual high school in Yash, Moldavia, Romania. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, after winning a uh, French language competition where he had students of all the classes in that high school. So uh, let's um, remember the fact that this is a special high school for languages. 
these were children who won all the possible um, language comp- nationwide competitions. That's so great. Uh, kind of uh, language Olympics, if you want. So I won that. I was among the winners that French language uh, contest competition. And the prize was a trip to France. Wow. It was like a kind, at the same time, it was like a, a kind of twinning project, if you want, between these uh, high schools. The one where I was studying in Yash and the one in uh, Dreux, France. I'm curious now, like uh, yeah. if you if, if you're already in high school and you're already acquiring the language mm-hmm. to the point that uh, you're already winning competitions mm-hmm. and you know, like taking trips to places where you're you're going to be immersed in the language. I'm mm-hmm. I'm thinking, had you already thought about thinking into the future what courses you needed to take? in order to become an interpreter, or did that come later on? Uh, No, I knew this is what I wanted to do, uh, translation and interpreting, uh, which is why I came to Bucharest, because at the time, uh, Bucharest was the only university center which had this um, special section, Mm. special department for translators and interpreters. Basically, after this four years of study at university, I got my BA degree in languages, translation studies and terminology. And then I uh, also attended a European MA program in conference interpreting mm. organized by the University of Bucharest with the support of the European Commission. Wow. So I knew that this is what I wanted to do, a translation and interpreting. And um, the University of Bucharest at the time was the only university center which had this special training, right, for yeah. translators and interpreters. That's so <clears throat> great, Maria Letizia, because from a, such a young age, you don't usually hear that you're thinking at such a young age, I want to do what that guy is doing on TV, right? And it, later on, it does take you into some sort of uh, television background. And we'll get into that in just a second. But you see that on television and you make a connection in such a young, at such a young age, you make this, this realization or you have this realization that you want to be that person on you know the other side of the screen um, and and the fact that you just so happened to catch that, you know, because you could have seen any other part of what they were showing, but you happened to see the part where they were showing this gentleman that was, you know, standing behind, um, you know, these two heads of state. And right. and then you make that connection and you and you begin your education journey at some point at a pretty young age, I think. With that in mind, with that objective, you find yourself in Paris, you know, you've won already contests, and now you're at the university taking this formal education now in order to be able to become that interpreter that you saw on TV. Talk to us a little bit now about your professional career and how that started. What was your first interpreting experience? What, and what do you remember most about it in terms of how you felt? Uh, <laughs> that's another funny story, actually, because um, I first did consecutive interpreting when I was 13. Uh, in the context of a twinning project between uh, the main hospital in my hometown and a hospital from Switzerland. 
And uh, there were, of course, the physicians and the healthcare professionals coming from Switzerland who spoke French. And there were the medical staff from my hometown uh, who only uh, spoke Romanian. It, it was nothing really official. But as I uh, could speak French, I um, helped them during a meeting to talk about some of the uh, key elements related to that project. So basically, <laughs> that was my first job assignment uh, as an interpreter, interpreting consecutively interpreting from and into Romanian and French. <laughs> Do you recall what you felt like? Did you, do you recall um, the feeling? Did you, did you feel like, did you feel yeah. like that gentleman on TV at that moment? Almost <laughs> not yeah. quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. But that's the best thing. One of the best things about being an interpreter is the fact that you help people. You are useful. You are helpful. Hmm. Um, you're someone they rely on someone they trust Okay, because you're not there just to pose uh, as a very important person. You're there to help them. Okay, at the end of that meeting, whatever that is, they uh, reach an agreement. They uh, draw some conclusions. Uh, they decide upon an action plan, whatever. And that, thanks to you, thanks to your facilitating communication between them. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. To say the least, absolutely. To know that that's the, the type of effect that you have uh, it during an encounter or after um, it is a great feeling to know that thanks to that facilitation of communication, like you just put it and that you are a, a part of it, a direct part of it. Bring us now to present moment. You specialize in live interpreting for media and TV. How did that yes. come to be? It happened. My first collaboration with the TV station goes back to right after my graduation from the university, actually. Wow. Yeah. And let me tell you that at the time, we didn't have LinkedIn. We didn't have... Internet was not a thing back then. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't have anything. So basically, my only resource, if you will, uh, my only potential source of job assignments was, again, once again, the university. You have this kind of a billboard where they would put uh, all these job ads. And I still remember that ad. I said, I, I read it like a couple of times. I said, is this true? Could this be true? And of course, I went for it. They were looking, the main private TV station in Romania was looking for live, simultaneous interpreters from Romanian into English because they have this English channel where they would broadcast almost all their programs all their TV programs dubbed live, dubbed into English, right? Wow. So basically you would see the TV anchor broadcasting news or I don't know what uh, sitcom, I don't know what TV show, uh, but the, you would hear me uh, interpreting live into English. So I went there. It was like an audition. <laughs> really, really? Yeah. Talk yeah, to me about that. 
was like an audition. But I mean, this was the most popular TV station at the time, still is one of the most popular. Um, you had this key figures from television, like our opera or something like that, you know, our Chelsea. Um, and the simple fact of entering that magical universe, which is television, felt great. So, of course, I went for it. We had a kind of a warm-up, and then uh, the gentleman said, now this is uh, the real deal. Do your best. This is the part after which we will make the uh, selection. So I was, uh, of course, I tried to focus as much as I could uh, do the best that I can, and I got selected. Uh, and let me tell you that maybe only one of out of, I don't know, five candidates or something, if not more, was uh, selected. It was a small team. So basically, I did live uh, simultaneous, in, uh, simultaneous interpreting for two years for their um, international channel broadcast in English, dubbed actually uh, live in English. And after that, because um, they had this very popular um, TV host, a kind of your opera, right? Who had all these famous actors and VIPs coming to her shows from time to time because there was a time when they would make a lot of movies in Romania. I don't know if you know this. No. And you would have, um, I don't know, actors uh, like Ethan Hawke or Armanda Sante coming to Romania. They were invited to the TV show. This was broadcast live. So everything was live. And of course, she would talk to them. The audience is Romanian. So everything was in Romania. And I was supposed to simultaneously interpret into English what was being said in Romanian and then the other way around. Oh. That celebrities answers, intervention, whatever from English into Romanian. That was all life. Wow. So ever since the operative word for me has been live baby, <laughs> which is <laughs> I love. Yes, I have it in my blood. I have it in my DNA plus, you know, being surrounded. I mean, getting to meet all these famous people in your what? 20s, your early years as an interpreter is uh, awesome. If you ask yeah. me, I mean, I mean that I think that's what I love best about your story is that you know it begins with you on the other side of the screen, mm -hmm. and although you're not you're not necessarily the <laughs> one on screen, your voice is so there is still like a connection there you know what i mean like in terms oh, yes. of of you know what you what you saw as a child and what you're like mm -hmm. currently doing and that you started immediately right. in the live you know like in the mm -hmm. live tv and media you also do translation though so you know you yes. you have you went for training for mm -hmm. both skill sets so right, not just right, interpreting, right. but you're also you also specialize in translation and localization. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? How did you begin that aspect of your career? Hey, before we continue, let me tell you a little bit about the HLS Education Terms Online Glossary. The HLS Education Terms Online Glossary provides easy access to the Spanish translation of educational terms. No more shuffling through countless glossaries. 
the HLS Network of Language Consultants comprises a veteran district and county office of education translators that have an in-depth knowledge of K-12 terminology. Translators will have access to terms, acronyms, and phrases related to special education, English language learner programs, parent advisory committees, medical and legal vocabulary, academic subject-specific terms, and so much more. In addition, this live glossary allows users to request new terms and tag favorites. Using the HLS Education Terms Online Glossary will increase your translation speed, accuracy, and vocabulary consistency. Try a free 30-day trial today by visiting www.hlsglossary.com. Well, in order to be an interpreter, first of all, you have to be a very good translator. It doesn't work otherwise. I mean, you can choose to work only as a translator without doing interpreting, but you cannot do interpreting. You cannot be an interpreter without being, first of all and foremost, a very good translator. Because with the translation, you get the chance to read, reread the text, search terminology, validate terms with an expert, so on and so forth. With interpreting, you only get one shot, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Okay? You don't, there's no retake. Right. Right? Especially on live. Yeah, it's like, I mean, sometimes people imagine that you have like a prompter or something in front of you and you just read the text out loud. Yeah, Yeah, they have no idea what that implies. So, right. Um, But yes, to to come back to your question, Amiria, yes, I do both um, translation and interpreting. But as you can tell... interpreting is my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had another guest on the show that uh, said exactly (laughs) the same thing. Like if you make me choose interpreting is what I would choose. And and I I think I'm totally there, you know, with you guys as well. Like I think (laughs) it's, it's that form of communication that I feel most natural in. And, you know, I do rely on the strengths of colleagues to be able to correct me and teach Mm. me and all that stuff for the translation aspect of my job. But um, because I, I am a learner. I, I do feel that, mm-hmm. you know, I, the more I can learn, the better, course, obviously yes. it, it'll make me, but if you make me choose, I absolutely am with you. I enjoy the interpreting aspect more. You've been in addition yeah. to, to the live interpreting for media, which is, it sounds like that's the fun stuff, but you've yeah. also done not to say that it's not fun, but it's, it's a little bit of a, more of a different uh-huh. environment because mm-hmm. you've also interpreted for embassies, right? Like yes. you've done ministries mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. NATO and yeah. government. Yes. Yes. What is that like? Because I feel like it must be it, it, it just must be very competitive. And I have no idea oh, yes. what it's like. That's why I ask you the professional in that specialization. What is that like? Like for someone that's listening that says, I want to do exactly what Maria Letizia is doing. How, what, what can they expect in terms of what it's like to interpret in that type of environment? Um, well, of course, it's, it's a bit different than translating uh, for Armanda Sante or Michael Bolton, because obviously there's a pressure, right? Mm. We're talking about high level, the highest possible level for an interpreter. I'm talking about president of a country, presidential advisor, secretary of state, minister, 
charge d'affaires, ambassador. So the very level at which this meeting takes place obliges you, right, to live up to their expectation. There's no room for mistake. There's no room for hesitation. There's no room for error. Uh, you have to be truly, truly professional to your very core. It's about being professional. It's about doing your homework prior to that event or meeting. Know who the interlocutor is, the peculiarities and the specificities of the country they come from. Do's and don'ts, because that meeting can take place in your country or you could be asked to travel abroad accompanying an official delegation. Mm. So it's more than just simply providing a message from the source language into the target language. It's much more complex than that. It begins with your very preparation for that trip, let's say, or for that meeting. Getting familiar with the topic, know uh, the agenda of the meeting, know the names, talking about names and pronunciation, know the names, the uh, job titles, if you want. Pay attention to the, even the slightest detail in terms of, I don't know, cultural specifics, right? What you are, what you are expected or supposed to do, what you're not allowed to do in terms of greeting or, I don't know, accepting or not a protocol uh, gift or something. Mm. Uh, are you, is it okay for you to smile or just stay put during the entire meeting? Um, are you allowed to intervene or you just limit yourself to basically interpret what is said, nothing more? Mm -hmm. I was just um, going to ask that too. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm curious <laughs> to know how it differentiates from other forms of, um, of specializations in interpreting, mm -hmm. because yeah, there is a, uh, you know, there's moments for, especially like community interpreting yeah. where we have the ability to, mm -hmm. you know, ask for clarification if right. there's, you know, but it, right. when we're doing like simultaneous, let's say um, there, you can't, you can't pause the conference and say, you know, no, like I need not. some clarification. Right. <laughs> so, so I was curious in, in this scenario where you're at currently, what is, uh, for instance, if you're following a, a, a delegate or you're, you're with that mm -hmm. delegate, I imagine that this is, you know, a long period of time. Um, is there two of you, like I, we've learned, you know, that conference interpreters will, you know, will, will swap after a period of time, or is it just um. you? following that delegate for the entire day or for a long period of time? My role with government and uh, public administration um, and public institutions that I uh, worked as an interpreter for uh, was that of an official interpreter. So I was the only interpreter accompanying that particular official or official delegation. When I uh, went to Brussels, to NATO, I was the official interpreter of a Romanian delegation run by um, an official uh, whose rank was that of a minister. 
right? These are, let's say, short-term meetings, but very intense mm -hmm. because, as I said, there's no room for error. Everything has to be simply perfect. Uh, of course, at NATO, I did simultaneous interpreting from Romanian into English because uh, the gentleman uh, who led the uh, Romanian delegation gave a speech, right? And I was supposed to um, interpret that simultaneously uh, for the officials at NATO from Romanian into English. And there may have been questions afterwards. Mm. Otherwise, uh, most of this, during most of these encounters, uh, I do consecutive interpreting, right? That's the rule. Mm. Uh, they start speaking, I uh, do my part, then the counterpart starts intervening, speaking, asking questions, and so on. So this is, uh, with official uh, meetings like this, uh, embassies, uh, public institutions, uh, it's, uh, it's usually uh, consecutive interpreting because it's very formal. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to listen, take notes, and then render mm -hmm. that message into the target language and the other way around. So if while I uh, do live interpreting for the media, I am a big bit of an actress, right? There's an, some acting there. Right. With this official delegations, you're a bit of a diplomat. Mm. Okay. It's like an, an official, you know, like a, a member of um, the official staff. So an interpreter, a bit of a protocol officer, if you will, and a diplomat. Wow. I, I, I but I even the imagine. fascinating, yeah, the yeah. fascinating uh, thing about it, Mireille, is that to is that, that sometimes you get the chance to travel uh, to countries. I got the chance to travel to countries I probably would have never seen hmm. uh, if it hadn't been for my uh, my job as an interpreter. Uh, I think I've been to over 20 countries wow. as an official interpreter, including Europe and the Middle East. Wow. Which was the most fascinating part for me. Yeah, it's a to totally different world. It's a different movie, as I like to say. <laughs> um, and I guess that's the best part. That's the icing on the cake. Media, yes, but diplomat embassies and diplomats and official public institution, that's the very peak, that's the very top. Because you have to be impeccable. You right. have you really have to be the best. I had someone in the past, you know, mention when they mm -hmm. um, had started interpreting in the courts, mm -hmm. um, uh, knowing the feeling or having this feeling of, you know, mm -hmm. responsibility yeah. with, you know, their rendition because of the outcome of the, the trial and all that yeah. it, they felt like this was not the environment they wanted to be. And they quickly realized this specialty, mm -hmm. you know, wasn't for them. Now I'm, I cannot even imagine what it's like, you know, in your shoes with, uh, with diplomats and, and stuff like that, that's, that's even more pressure. Yes. If I may just, uh, uh, an add on with courts, it's a totally different story because 
when I do interpreting in a courtroom, it's like, I, I feel like in a novel by Dickens. <laughs> it's yeah. that heavy atmosphere. So yeah, because it's usual, it's usually a criminal trial, which may lead to a conviction or acquittal of someone. So right. yeah, the pressure yeah. is tremendous. You talked about, you know, the the beauty of um, the nice part. Well, I wouldn't say nice, but, you know, like what it's like the interpreting uh, in terms of being able to mm-hmm. travel, right? Mm-hmm. And the experiences that you have with that. What has been your biggest challenge, would you say, in your professional career? The biggest challenge? Um my uh, participation as an interpreter, as an official interpreter, in a um, an international conference that lasted for um, several days. It took place in uh, Turkey, uh, and there I had both tete-a-tete meetings, right, one-to-one, uh, plenary meetings, but also kind of informal. Well, if you can say that, informal meetings among various members of delegations from different countries. It was a mixture. And um, you never know what you're coming across, obviously. It's not always the less official part is not held in a conference room or something. Maybe it's an official dinner or something. But if a guest approaches the head of your delegation asking questions or simply, you know, doing conversation, you have to be just as professional as if you were in a conference room. Plus, uh, you don't get really the chance to take notes. So you have to be really focused as to remember everything that is being said. Sometimes they make jokes. Sometimes these jokes cannot be translated into (laughs) your language. You know, sometimes uh, (laughs) the uh, the fun, the joke gets lost in translation. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's another <laughs> difficult challenge of an official uh, interpreter accompanying high-level delegations. You never know what never may know. happen next. Is it a one-to-one? Um, is it a uh, dinner? Is it a uh, negotiation? Because even when you have conferences on site, you know, at the hotel or something, the real deal, the real thing happens during the break. Everybody knows that. Okay. The real part, the real negotiations start uh, over coffee uh, during lunch or dinner. Yeah. So you... You don't get the chance to eat anything, but you remain in the interpreter mode, right? Doing your job as if it was, you know, the official part, the right. official works of that conference. So, yeah, because it, uh, that, I, I imagine that that at that moment, it's the moment of which might be the briefest moment, but it's perhaps the most <laughs> personalized, right? The most humanized moment yes, of both individuals. Right. And so that I can imagine is just as crucial. Maria Letizia, what is what is like the aspect of the profession that mm-hmm. you enjoy the most? Um, I simply love. I mean, I I cherish 
so much on the memories that I have from all these official visits and delegations and travels that I have had the chance to be a part of as an interpreter. Um, meeting some very important persons, mm. uh, some very important decision makers from various countries, people who relied on me, who trusted me, who gave me like a blank check, if you want, right. knowing that I will deliver, which I did. Your your work being acknowledged, mm. your person, your personality, your output out there as an interpreter being acknowledged and appreciated is all I could ask for. Even if it may sound as a cliche, I believe from the bottom of my heart that I was born to do this. I have it. I feel it in my DNA. There's no way I would choose a different career path than this one. Even if I don't do anymore what I used to do back then in my early years of my career as an interpreter, because things have changed a lot, I still cherish these memories. And it's been like a school, more than training on the job. It's been a school. I've learned so much, both as a professional interpreter, but also as a human being. And the fact that the highest that person is, the most appreciative they will be is more than I could possibly put in words. Mm, I love that. Such love for the profession. I think it shows. And I think that perhaps that's one of the very many reasons why, uh, you know, you are selected or you are chosen because it just naturally shows, you know, when uh, you love what you do so much yeah. And, yeah. And, it, and it shows in the work that, you know, you, you give. So thank you for sharing that. That's, that's very beautiful and, and very important for, for many aspiring interpreters, particularly if they're aspiring to be uh, mm-hmm. an interpreter in the specializations that you're in. And speaking of new interpreters, uh, mm-hmm. Maria Letizia, what supports or resources have you come across in your professional career that you would say, this is an absolute must, like, you know, the, there's these types of resources to help support you um, and you should look into them, you know, as early as possible, or what have you come across in your professional career that you feel mm-hmm. is something every interpreter should carry uh, with them to help support them in their professional journey? Um, look, if we're talking about uh, aspiring interpreters or uh, new junior interpreters, let me uh, starting by saying this, uh, being an interpreter is like being a doctor. I wouldn't recommend or advise anyone, and I mean anyone, to choose this career for the money they could possibly make. That is so wrong. Mm. Then, as I told you, when I started, things were so different. I mean, I didn't have, now you have all these tools, you have social media, you have networking. I didn't have any of this back then. So for me, it was job ads at the university and word of the mouth. Right. So treasure each and every client, each and every project. But then again, 
this is a total, totally different environment and context and society we're living in than back then. Very true. So if I were to start now, things would for sure look different. Right. I mean, the idea is the idea is to get training as much as possible in the mm-hmm. early years because this is a job that you only learn by doing it. Okay, it's like medicine. You don't get to become a surgeon only by reading books or attending webinars. No offense. Okay, (laughs) practice makes perfect. I took every single project job I was offered, sometimes unpaid, didn't care. It added up to my work experience, and I'm still grateful for that. Right now, of course, you have networking. Uh, Right now, it's all about who knows you, right? Mm -hmm. It's about branding yourself, which is something that you do with this incredible, wonderful podcast of yours. Thank you. Brand yourself. That's right. So uh, be as public if you want as possible. But then again, from one point, onwards it's a matter of it's a matter of being a brand for me and i'm very honest about it i'm not chasing clients they come to me right given my uh, cv my experience but this is something i uh, gained in time mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. thanks to the hard work and the sacrifices that i've made because i wanted to Right. This was my choice. Yeah. And I think that it, what you said right now is super crucial. It's, you know, from the beginning, what is it that you want to be known for? Mm -hmm. And from the get go, that is how you need to do your job, do your work, present yourself. And your performance needs to be able to demonstrate what you want to be known for. You want to be known for professionalism, that in every step of the way and everything that you do with from that very first encounter, you know, mm-hmm. with the person that is contacting you, professionalism yeah, yeah. and maintain that and be consistent. And I think that that's something that you've absolutely demonstrated in, in your professional journey is that you knew exactly how you uh, wanted to be seen as, you know, a professional interpreter, a professional in your specialization. And you carried that through the years and, and, and after time, after consistency, like anything that's good out there with time, you're no longer searching because you've left a brand, you know, embedded in your journey that people know about you because they know they can trust you. And that's, that's one of the important things about a brand. One of the most important things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, If not the most exactly is that level of trust that people have in a brand. And so if we treat each other, I mean, excuse me, if we treat ourselves as a brand and if we want people to trust us, the brand, then we have to do all those things that yeah. uh, ensue trust. And I think that's, you know, definitely something that uh, it sounds by your, your, your story and your professional journey, that this is something that you've given out time after time. And now, you know, you're seeing the fruits of that hard work. Mireya, if I, if I may, if I may, being professional, 
does not mean holding a BA, MA, MBA, whatever certification. Being a professional is not about certifications, guys. Okay, take it from me. It's not about diplomas. It's not about certificates. No, it's about being reliable and proving that to your customers. It's about being on time. It's about delivering. It's about meeting and exceeding expectations. It's about going that extra mile when you're under the spotlights in the interpreter's shoes. Okay. So that's very important. Wow. Professionalism is not about certifications, guys. Oh my gosh. I got chills with that one. That was golden. (laughs) That is so true. Thank you so much for mentioning that. That is so true. Sometimes we're led to believe that uh, with the training automatically that equals or equates with professionalism, but not at all. It still depends completely on you, on the individual to ensure that that's exactly what comes across. If in fact, that is what you want to be known for. And if you want to be known for other things, then, you know, of course, then adapt to those other things. But if really what you're wanting is that. Yes. I mean, people, customers have come to me and uh, this is real life, have come to me and approached me for uh, an interpreting assignment because they heard me on TV interpreting. Uh, Okay, so it's not because I attended the European MA program in conference interpreting. They don't care how you manage, how you do your job in real life situation is what matters, not what's in your uh, dossier of certificates and diplomas and stuff. Okay, of course, that's important. Right. I always treasure interpreters who have a professional you know, formal training, right. not just people who uh, suddenly decided, hey, why don't I try to do that? No, that's not fun. for everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, I love this conversation so much. I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to join <laughs> us to share your story and to share these just like golden pieces of advice that are so important because it's things that we don't necessarily hear you know, mm-hmm. um, often, yeah, we yeah. hear the, the component of training and it's, it's, uh, importance in, it's in all the over specialization. The yeah. <laughs> then there's these other things that it's like, once you hear it from someone that has been doing this for years mm-hmm. and that understands, you know, all the different complexities and, and, and thinks, you know, this is something that should have been taught, or I wish they would have mentioned this during the formal training and things like that. Yeah. And the fact that now you're, you're um, taking the time to share this message with others. Um, I mm-hmm. think that 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 is a piece that I love most about this platform is being able to, to have this and offer those things that you don't necessarily get during formal training. Yeah. So I really appreciate that, that you're here and that you shared that. We're getting ready to wrap up, Maria right. Letizia, but I'd like for you to share with us what new or future projects you might be working on that you'd mm-hmm. like to announce to people and let them know here first. <laughs> okay, so um, see, let's see. As a middle and long-term goal, I think I aim to provide more consultancy, uh, do more on-demand interviews and training. Um, maybe some mentoring or coaching 
right? So because I do believe that I have things to share, especially with uh, junior aspiring interpreters, but also more seasoned, let's say, professionals interested in getting more in-depth about this job, getting maybe a new perspective. Uh, but then on a short term, I will, um, talking about interviews like this, I will have a second interview with a senior localization consultant from the U.S., my uh, virtual friend, uh, in fact, uh, Marina Grayson Farrell, as uh, part of this um, series called Localization Explained. Oh, wow. Uh, which you can find on uh, YouTube, but also on LinkedIn. I have a link on my LinkedIn profile to the first interview that I gave uh, as part of this series, Localization Explained. How great. I'll make sure to <laughs> include uh, that information on the episode show notes for any audience that is interested in tuning in. Lastly, uh, Maria Letizia, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? I'm not exactly a social media geek or, <laughs> or something, uh, but I'm uh, pretty active on uh, LinkedIn yes, uh, and Facebook, but mainly LinkedIn. So uh, if you want to learn more about my uh, professional journey, uh, LinkedIn would be the first step. Because LinkedIn is like, uh, my LinkedIn profile is like an online resume, if you want, or uh, my work experience, um, put in a nutshell. Right. Yeah. And for uh, any member of the audience that hasn't considered putting together a LinkedIn profile after you're done with listening to this entire episode, of course, sit down and consider putting together a LinkedIn profile because I'm going to tell you why real quick. If you do a Google search for your name, chances are one of the very first things that Mm -hmm. comes up is that LinkedIn profile with your name on it. So if you're looking for more business or you're looking to brand yourself and the information that you want to give out and what you want people to know you for, consider creating a LinkedIn profile. Maria Letizia, this has been such a pleasure. I truly enjoyed our conversation. (laughs) This was so great. I really honor you and your time. And I appreciate you so much for coming on the Brand the Interpreter podcast to share your story about our profession. I think it's so important for us to create a platform for visibility of the profession. And so even amongst ourselves as interpreters in different specializations, to get to know what other colleagues are doing and how they came to be. And, you know, just just creating that visibility for uh, for ourselves and, of course, for others. So I want to thank you so very much for coming on the show and we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Mireya, for having me. It's been a pleasure, a real pleasure talking to you and uh, I hope we can stay in touch. Absolutely. We definitely must. Thank you again. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.